Welcome to Plowing Through Brexit, Farmers Guardian's Brexit podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Farmers Guardian Plowing Through Brexit podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Abby Kay. Now, are you a Welsh farmer concerned that you're going to lose out as a result of the government's plan to abolish direct payments? Or are you farming elsewhere in the UK and want to know how your competitors in Wales will be rewarded? If so, then listen on because we've got two fantastic guests joining us to talk about the Welsh Government's post-Brexit policy known as the Sustainable Farming Scheme. That's right, Abby. And as a Welsh farmer myself, I can't wait to get stuck in. So first up, we have Dolan Morgan, Head of Policy at NFU Cymru. Hi, Dolan. Hi, both. Hi. And we also have another super knowledgeable gent with us, Dr Nick Fenwick, Head of Policy at the Farmers Union of Wales. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Hi there. Right then, gents, both of your unions have been running a series of meetings with your members about this revised uh, post-Brexit policy proposed by Welsh Government. Uh, Can you tell us uh, what they're happy with and what they're not so happy with about the plans as they currently stand? Uh, Dylan, we'll start with you. Well, I think generally in terms of the consultation itself, it's more of a consultation perhaps than we saw in last year's Brexit in our land. It's written in a way that Welsh Government appeared generally interested in hearing our views. I think positively they recognise the role of farmers in the rural economy and Welsh society rather than giving us the sort of narrow definition that we had last year where they decided to call us land managers. (laughs) Uh, I think, you know, we we support the principle that they're talking about now designing future policy around the principle of sustainability because we think that's vitally important, recognising the sort of economic, environment, social and cultural contribution that we make to Wales. But I think the problem is when you look at the detail of the policy, it still remains largely focused on developing an environmental policy. And we're clear that we, you know, we need proper recognition of what we deliver for the economy and in particular our role in terms of, of, of food production. Um, I think in terms of the members, the, the first question we had in every meeting, I'm sure Nick will sort of follow on from this in a minute, was the sort of top-heavy advisor-led approach that Welsh Government are looking to take in terms of designing and, and implementing future policy in Wales. Mm. Yes. What about you, Nick, then? Are your, are your members feeling the same? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had, as the NFU in, in Wales had, uh, meetings throughout Wales, and the, con- the concerns were very much reflected by what Dylan has said. There was support for the advisory services that, were, that, were, that are currently in place and, and for continuing those with some fine-tuning, I should add, um, and support for the consultative tone of, of the document. But... In terms of its key message, which is the introduction of a, of a public goods environmental payments type scheme, there was overwhelming concern based on many, many years of Welsh schemes that have been introduced, Tir Gofal, Tir Cymun, Glastir, over the years, and people's awareness of how they have worked, and bearing in mind that those schemes have been sort of supplementary schemes, whereas what the Welsh Government is proposing is that they would be the only scheme available. And bear in mind at the moment, there are around 4,000 agri-environment schemes in place compared with around 16,000 BPS agreements in place. So you're looking at uh, something like a four or five-fold increase in the number of people that would be going into bespoke contracts. So the complexity of that absolutely terrifies people. What about, um, so the proposal is based on the United Nations definition of sustainable land management with um, the objective of focusing on the sustainable use of resources. Is is that broad enough or do you think there are things that are going to be missed by using that definition? Absolutely 
not broad enough and, uh, to the extent that it, we don't believe it complies with what is set in legislation, Welsh legislation, which are our well-being uh, goals, which include things like or cover things like employment and prosperity and things like that, whereas the UN definition is fine in itself, but it doesn't extend to to modern Welsh goals such as culture, language, etc., which are all in terms in, which are all actually legal goals for Wales now. So, you know, I'll, I'll be blunt about it. The public goods concept has been knocking around for 15, 20 years, and it seems to me that the minute Brexit was on the table, within weeks, what's happened is that public goods concept, which was really put in put on paper by DEFRA and the Treasury back in 2005 in their cap proposal has been taken out of the box where it's been sat for 15 years and so they've blown off the dust and and introduced it as some sort of groundbreaking scheme where it's it's not at all and it cannot be said to be designed around modern Welsh priorities. So you as farming unions have worked really closely together on a campaign to maintain direct payments after Brexit. I saw that NFU Cymru is now calling for BPS to be retained for another year until 2021. How's Welsh Government been receptive to that call, Della? Well, in terms of our, our call, it's based on the fact that we don't think we should move forward until we're confident that any new policies that Welsh Government to implement can deliver at least the same or better for the sort of food farming in the rural economy of Wales. And I think in terms of the ongoing uncertainty that we got as a result of Brexit and the fact that in Westminster the Agricultural Bill has fallen, which is the legislative basis under which Welsh Government we're hoping to move forward, you know, there's a huge amount of uncertainty. And a lot of these are outside the control of Welsh Government. But, you know, we feel that one thing which is within their area of competency is around providing some stability and certainty to farmers through maintaining current policy in Wales. So, you know, at the moment we know we've got the BPS for 2020. And we've got a commitment for Glastid, our Ag Environment Scheme, at the end of 2021. Um, so, you know, that's where our core, really, for 2021 is coming. I think in terms of the minister, yeah, we've written to her and we actually met her on this issue a couple of weeks ago. I do believe that she's taken the proposal very seriously. I think probably the big barrier at the moment in terms of her being able to make a decision on a way forward is the uncertainty that we've got as a result of the general election. Because yeah. the problem we've got now is obviously the manifesto commitment from the previous Conservative government now has, has gone. And we're waiting to see what will be the commitments from a potential future government in Westminster. Yeah. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen the Strutton Parker research, which looked at DEFRA's post-Brexit proposals for England and how they will affect farmers. Um, they assumed profit after costs from agri-environmental payments would double under the new scheme, but they still found net profit for the average farmer would fall by half over the next decade. Do you expect a similar outcome in Wales? And if so, what kind of impact would that have on rural communities? Nick, should we come to, come to you first on that? Yeah, I've seen the report and I think it it's just the latest in many, many reports, including those that were based on the Treasury DEFRA document from 2005 that, that suggests that the public goods model, coupled with some of the risks we face in terms of liberalising trade with the USA, etc., would result in catastrophic falls in farm incomes with, with those falls being particularly acute for livestock farms. And the Strutton Parker research is just the latest you know, in, in that set of evidence. And in all fairness to the Welsh Government, one of the positive things about the latest consultation is that they have 
acknowledge the importance of making sure that all the modeling, etc., is undertaken so that they can look before they leap, if you like. Uh, so that's got to be a positive mood, uh, move. And indeed, in terms of the transition, they've acknowledged that transition shouldn't take place until that modeling's been undertaking, undertaken and that we know a lot more about what the post-Brexit landscape might, might look like. But, you know, anyone looking at that research should be filled with horror if they have any concern about rural communities. Because bear in mind that the proportion of LFA farms, for example, in Wales is far, far higher than it is in England. And we are predominantly a, a livestock producing uh, landscape, if you like. Dairy is very, very important in Wales, but in terms of actual numbers of farming families, livestock uh, is, is by far the predominant industry. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think what we've got to remember is that, you know, what's been effectively been proposed in sort of both Wales and England is an agri-environment scheme, really, to replace both the basic payment scheme and for us, Glaster in Wales, and obviously the ELS in England. So, you know, even if our government look to go beyond sort of the current sort of calculations they do for agri-environment schemes, you know, it's unlikely that an agri-environment scheme is ever going to make up for the, for the loss that we'd see from, the, from, from, from BPS. So, you know, those income losses would have major implications, not just for farmers, but obviously for the, for the supply chain. And, you know, we think it's very important that when we're designing policies for the future, we want to maintain sort of critical mass and our productive capacity so that we can continue to produce high quality food production in Wales and across the UK. Mm, uh, Nick, the FUW has said the current online system that Welsh Government runs for payment is state-of-the-art and you have concerns about replacing it. Is that purely from an IT perspective or do you have broader worries about implementing a policy which would create tens of thousands of bespoke contracts, as you said, based on environmental outcomes? I think this very much follows on from Dylan's point about the need to protect uh, food production as well as environmental outputs, etc. Mm -hmm. Because we do have that state-of-the-art uh, system. We're not proposing that we stand still. Quite the opposite. The, both the farming unions in Wales are proposing that we develop this amazing system that we have. Bear in mind, you can put a pin on a map in Wales and you can tell what's happening within a 10-square-metre square uh, where that pin has fallen um, oh, and what's happening this year and last year and over the last 10 years we have you know it's an amazing data set and what we're talking about is developing that into something that delivers both environmentally but also in terms of food production productivity jobs a whole range of issues so we're, we think that that's the way forward based on a forward-looking IT-based system as opposed to what we think is being proposed which is very much what we've seen over many years, which is bespoke contracts. And we're talking about tens of thousands of them, as, as you said, bespoke contracts where neighboring farms could have completely different contracts, different payment levels, different rules, etc., which basically equates to a postcode lottery or even a within-parish farm-by-farm lottery. Mm. And delivering um, such a scheme would just be, we know of the problems that delivering those schemes have, have caused, both in England and in Wales. Uh, the staff that are required, it, it, the numbers are huge. Yeah, I think you guys have been a bit luckier with uh, IT down in Wales than we have in England. <laughs> <to be fair. laughs> 
Um, yeah. I want to talk about tenants now. In the last consultation, um, there wasn't much information about how tenants would be able to access the new scheme. Are you satisfied that the new proposals where farmers would need an agricultural holdings or farm business tenancy are sufficient, Dylan? Well, I think you're right, Darby. In terms of the consultation last year, it did seem to be more a policy for landlords over sort of farmers or, or tenants. I think certainly Welsh Government have recognised those concerns raised by both our unions and you know, they do appear to be making efforts to address the issue. And I think, you know, it's extremely important because around 30% of the land area in Wales is, is under some form of tenancy agreement. But I don't think we're convinced that the matter has quite been properly addressed yet. yet. And I think, you know, fundamentally, the issue that we've got is that, you know, as you said, Welsh Government are requiring, requiring um, farmers to have an agricultural holdings or farm business tenancy. And, you know, that, that is different to the current position to claim BPS, which is whilst you're you know, you need to be responsible for cross-compliance on that land for the whole year. You know, your requirement under BPS is to have management control on the 15th of May. And I think, you know, there's a lot of personal and financial reasons why many landlords don't feel able to give the person who's farming their land, you know, a long-term multi-annual farm business tenancy. And I think government still needs to recognise this issue so that we can ensure that we get future support to the active farmer, because that's crucial to us. You know, we want to make sure that policies are targeted at the people taking the business risk with food production and, and are actively managing the land. So, you know, recognition, yes, but there's still some way to go, I think, Abby. Mm. And what about commoners, Nick? We've got quite a few commoners in Wales. Um, I know in England that they've really struggled with late BPS payments because the system uh, doesn't really seem able to accommodate their needs. Do you think that will be different under this proposed new Welsh Government scheme? I think in many ways the concerns are reflected by those highlighted by Dalan in relation to tenants uh, because commoners are very unique, just as are tenants Bear in mind that almost 10% of Welsh land is is common land, um, about 180,000 hectares or so. And in some areas, you're talking about 30 40, or 40% of the area being common land You know, in, in some of, of our counties. So it's incredibly important in Wales. Um, back in 2007, one in every five Welsh farmers claimed to some extent on common land. So it's it's really important that we protect those guys. And under the current system, which is based on forage area, which can be derived from common rights, very simply, uh, people have annual access to money on common land. Moving from that system to an agri-environment scheme type payment, which is based on long-term contracts and public goods, brings with it huge, huge worries, some of which have been reflected in what's happened with our current common land agri-environment scheme in that you sort of you disempower commoners uh, you hand power from commoners to the owners of commons um, or to non-farming commoners um, so you introduced a, a host of problems and the suggestion that commons councils might somehow be a silver bullet to solving those problems I, I just don't think mm. uh, carries any weight just as the suggestion that the some of the very good tenancy reform uh, changes that have been proposed uh, would solve some of the problems that Dylan has referred to. That also doesn't carry water. The problems are, are, are much, much larger than those two moves could solve. Mm. 
Finally, then, um, I can't let you both go without mentioning money. Um, <laughs> how much cash do you think is going to be needed to make sure that any post-Brexit policy in Wales is a success? Dylan, we'll come to you first. Well, I think, first of all, Abby, we need to hold a number of our politicians to account. I mean, in the time of the referendum, we were promised that leaving the EU would mean that sort of Welsh and UK farmers would not receive a penny less. And I think that very much has to be our starting position, really. But, you know, we do need to see a well-funded policy. And I think what we also need to make sure is that we've got long-term multi-annual budget commitments from our governments in both Westminster and Cardiff, because we need that to be able to continue to be the cornerstone of a multi-billion pound food and drink industry in Wales, you know, to meet our responsibilities to care for and enhance our environment and, and our aspiration for, for 2040 net zero. So, you know, those are the big challenges of our time. And, you know, I think actually there's probably a strong case with some of those for an increased funding to help meet those challenges for us. And, I, you know, I, I think, you know, money for agriculture is, is good value, for, is a good investment from, from government. You know, we know from previous research that for every one pound spent by government, there's a return of over seven pound uh, to farmers in the, and the rural economy on that. So, you know, I think we've got a strong case going forward. Mm, I wholeheartedly agree. What about you, Nick? Would you agree? Absolutely. And, and, and work really needs to, to be undertaken to work out a, a, a future funding formula for the, for the nations, which is based on a host of, of issues, not just based on the environment, based on social needs, etc. And that, that work needs to be done. But we also need to bear in mind that the way in which budgets are spent within our devolved nations needs to be taken account. Uh, it's suggested that the money made, whatever money is available, may just be handed over to Scotland or Wales or, or whichever devolved nation we're talking about. And they may just be free to spend that money however they want. So we could be facing a situation where Wales decides to spend all its money on, for the sake of argument, water catchment, whereas Scotland decides to spend it all on, on something very, very different, thereby increasing huge uh, introducing huge market distortions within our UK market. And that's a really, really dangerous road to go down. So we need ring fencing of the agricultural budget, but we also need ring fencing within policy areas um, with degrees of flexibility, because without that, the degree for diversion between agricultural policies and, and that then causing market distortion is absolutely huge and unprecedented, I would say. Mm. Do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna squeeze in one last question just because I can. Um, <laughs> were, were you disappointed that the um, number of responses to this latest consultation was much lower than the Brexit in our land one? Uh, I think it was to be expected, and I think you know I think both unions wrote to the minister. On the issue, Abby, I mean the point is we were running this consultation at a time when there was a very real threat that we were going to be leaving the EU on the 31st of October. And in terms of, in terms of all the meetings that we held, um, we discussed both the consultation and Brexit and, and, and the fear of leaving, particularly when we knew what the tariff regime was, was going to be if we left, was, was uppermost in, in the majority of farmers' minds. So, you know, that is what, you know, we don't feel that we had the right opportunity over those 16 weeks to be able to have the full and meaningful discussions that we were able to have a year before because of that threat over us. Um, thankfully, in terms of our meetings, we did have good attendance and we engaged with over 1,300 members throughout, throughout the course of that, that process. But, you know, we still feel that in terms of the timing of the consultation, um, it, should, it should have been paused. Mm. 
What about yeah, you? I, I, yeah, I would agree entirely that, that you know everyone's attention was focused on that huge risk to our markets, uh, which is now passed. So, you know, you can't, and there's also this huge fatigue about its consultation fatigue, there's Brexit fatigue. Um, the important thing to remember is consultations aren't referendums, if you like. Um, numbers are important to some extent, but of course, our respective organizations, Dalans and my organizations, you know, we, we reflect the overwhelming majority of agricultural views and the, the Welsh Government needs, needs to take that on board. Mm. Well, I mean, you say the threat has passed, but we could be staring down the, uh, the barrel of the same gun in December 2020, Nick. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, that is a story for a whole nother day. Um, I think we'll have to leave it there for today. But thank you to both Dylan and Nick for taking time out of the day to talk to us. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thanks very much. Thank you. And to everyone listening, thank you. And keep your eyes peeled for the next Farmer's Guardian Plowing Through Brexit podcast, which will be out next month. And in the meantime, you can check out fginsight.com forward slash Brexit for all the latest Brexit news and analysis.